This is a podcast from Real Life Sango in Clarksville, Tennessee. Thank you for being a part of our online community. We would love for you to join us at 8.30 or 10 a.m. on Sunday morning at the City Forum. In the meantime, if you would like to share a prayer request, make a financial contribution, or take a step at Real Life, you can text MISSION to 97000. Now enjoy the podcast. Amen, amen. Well, good morning. I want to invite you to grab a copy of God's Word. Pull it up on your phone or the black Bibles there on the seats with you or the Bible you brought. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. Would you do that this morning? 1 Peter chapter 4. If you're new to real life, you'll hear me often say, I really want you to see God's words on the pages of Scripture more than you even hear what I have to say about God's words. Um, so it's not as important about what I'm going to say about God's words as it is what God has said, and I want you to see what God has said in the sacred scriptures, 1 Peter chapter 4. As you're turning to 1 Peter chapter 4, let's just do the, uh, the survey that happens on this Sunday. Are you ready for this? All right, you know what's coming? Valentine's Day haters, let me see you. Let me see you. You just, like, like, it's the devil's holiday. That's why it's red, right? It's just Valentine's Day. Let me, come on now. All right. Okay, those of you that love Valentine's Day, let, let's see you. Come on, come on. All right, so we had about half the room participating in the survey. And there is no wrong answer. There's no, this is not a trick question. Now, I know you may not want to get elbowed, you know, by the person sitting next to you, but let's just go ahead and would you, would you roll with me just as we, as we kick off the sermon this morning. Those of you that love Valentine's Day, show it proud, loud. Come on, let me see you. Husbands, pay attention. <laughs> Those of you that hate Valentine's Day, come on, here we go, right? All right, all right. Those of you that just don't have an opinion, you just really don't have an opinion. It's like half the room. Half the room. That's right, that's what's wrong with our world is a whole love holiday. <laughs> I'm just kidding. First Peter chapter four, did you find your way there? Let me see it. First Peter chapter four. Well, this morning I am preaching on love. I'm titling the sermon this morning above all, and I'm preaching on love. Hey, the, 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 hey, Grant, sounds a little echoey. I don't know if you can pull that down a little bit. Back row, you guys hear me okay? It may just be me. Um, it may be Valentine's Day, just the rumble leading up to the day. I am preaching on love this morning, but not the kind of love that gets tossed around on Valentine's Day, um, but rather something deeper, something a little stronger something maybe even a little more important. Um, one verse, four observations. Are you ready for it? One verse, four observations. First Peter chapter 4, look at verse 8 with me. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Let's read it again. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Would you pray with me? Father, we do pray that you would speak to us. We, your children, are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Peter wrote 1 Peter, and Peter's occasion for writing was the, the Christians were experiencing persecution the early churches were needed some clarifying and correcting in their doctrine, and as you can imagine, they needed encouragement to live holy lives. 
it kind of sounds like the occasion for, for any church in any place, right? You're experiencing persecution for being a, a Christian, um, needing a, a tweak, a clarifying in their doctrine, and they were needing encouragement to live holy lives. That was his occasion for writing uh, this text. And what we have bookend on the, front, on the front part of the paragraph of the verse that we find, um, we, we have Peter saying, the last day is coming. As you read through the New Testament, you see that theme over and over and over again. The New Testament authors wanted us not to be fixed upon what's going on here and now, but what's coming. A day is coming when Jesus will come and he'll judge the living and the dead. It's easy to totally forget that Jesus is coming back. And so Peter was writing and he introduced, he says, this day is coming. And then he bookends it with talking about living for the glory of God. And in between these two bookends, he fills it with all kinds of application, and that's where we find verse 8, which says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Before we dig in and look at these four observations, let's define love. Let's define love as I believe Peter is teaching it here. Are you ready for this? Um, love is just simply affection that leads to sacrifice for the good of others. Love is affection that leads to sacrifice for the good of others. Hey, Pastor, where do you get that definition of love? I get it from 1 Corinthians 13. In 1 Corinthians 13, what the apostle Paul writes is he says, if I deliver my body up to be burned, if I give all I have to the poor, let me just pause there. I just want to identify those two things that the apostle Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 13 as two of the acts that most of us would affirm is the most loving thing that you could do. One, deliver your body up to be burned. What does that mean? That means be killed for Jesus. That's what he's talking about. Literally, you give your life, you're a martyr for Jesus. That's like the ultimate expression of love, isn't it? I love you so much, Jesus, I'm willing to be killed for you. There are people in other countries today just gathering for worship, like we're gathered, are risking their lives. Wow, they love the Lord, don't they? Wow. So, 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 the, so Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 says, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I have nothing. So what appears to be the most loving act can be void of love. Well, then he says, if I, if I sell all, give all, all that I have away, that sounds like the most loving thing you could do, isn't it? It's like everything that I have, I'm just going to give it away. Wow. How loving, how, how much more loving could you be? Well, Paul says you could be more loving if it was coming from your heart, if it was coming from an authentic place. In other words, love often in our day and time just says, well, love, is, it's just action. It's not. It's not just action, not according to the Bible. Love flows from affection. So it can't just be affection. In other words, it's not just what you feel. It is what you do, but it's not just what you do. It's also Affection, that's why love is so difficult. <laughs> that's why loving God is hard. That's why loving people is hard, is, is that it requires both affection and action. And so sometimes we love just because we know it's the right thing to do and we just grit our teeth and just in willpower, we're just going to love them, but it, it's out of duty, not an authentic heart. So that's why we're defining love this morning just as our baseline as affection which leads us to sacrifice for the good of others. That's what love is this morning. So here we got Valentine's Day in front of us. 
And some of us think we love him or we love her, but here is love. It's affection that leads to sacrifice. Sacrifice, putting others' preference in front of ours. Giving something up that costs us something that's painful. All right, are we cool with this working definition of love this morning? Let's look at four observations from this one verse. The first observation is we see the priority of love. The priority of love. Look at verse 8. Above all. He's about to tell them keep loving one another earnestly. But before he does that, he says above all. What is he saying? He's saying, look, there's a lot of things Paul said. There's a lot of things, Peter, I'm, I'm writing. There's a lot of things in the, in the sacred scriptures. But there's one thing most important. It's all important. But there's one thing most important. Now, this is not strange or unusual from the biblical authors. This is exactly what Paul does in 1 Corinthians 15. In in 1 Corinthians 15, the apostle Paul said, Now I would remind you, brothers, that which was of first importance. So what are the biblical authors doing here? They're triaging. It's like when when you go to the emergency room, a triage happens. And if you broke your finger, just take your sleeping bag. Because you're camping out for the week, right? Because other people are walking in, holding their heart, and they get back immediately. Why? It's more important than your broken finger. Their heart issue is more important than your broken finger. And what the the apostle Peter is saying is, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. In other words, the most important thing is that you, you love one another. For this young church, the most, so, so here's a church, they were undergoing persecution. What does that mean? That means some of them are going to live out their faith and some of them are going to run. In, in other words, some of them were only giving lip service to Jesus. And when the fire of persecution came, they were like, peace out. I mean, I want Jesus to forgive me of my sins, but I don't want to follow him in the midst of persecution. Right? Um, the apostle Peter knew what was at stake in the early church. He knew if they did not love one another, it wouldn't wouldn't be compelling to the world. The world is watching this new movement, this new Jesus movement. What is the world going to think about this new Jesus movement? I'll tell you what they'll think about the new Jesus movement if the the early Christians weren't loving one another. That's what they'll think about that. Nothing, Nothing. Nothing over there has the power to give me hope. They can't get along. They can't forgive. They, their love, it's, it's just rooted in convenience. So he exalted as the priority. You guys, last week, we had our largest non-holiday attendance at real life in our history. How crazy is that? How crazy is that? It's so amazing. One lady came up to me last week. She said, I brought 10 people with me today. I'm like, you just encouraged your pastor for the month, right? Because, I mean, really, I mean, like, that's what it is, is living, joining Jesus on mission. We live in a dark world that's broken, that desperately needs hope. That's why we get excited about having a large attendance. It's because we gather in this place and we announce hope is available in King Jesus. You don't have to keep living life with no hope. You can trust him and follow him and experience love and hope and power like never before. That's why we get excited when when God fills the room up. So, so, So what if all these folks that visited last week, like what what's the most important thing that they ought to be thinking about as they think about, do I want to be a part of this church? 
I imagine they're thinking about what most people think about. Do I like the preaching? Do I like the music? How's the kids stuff? How's the kids stuff? But what, what they and we ought to be asking is, am I ready to love those people? Not, do I like the music? Do I like the preaching? Do they take good care of my kids? Am I willing and ready to love those people, these people, us, us? What, what should be your question about your longevity at, at, at real life? At loving these people. Loving these people, it's the priority. So the priority in our church is not the music, it's not the preaching, it's not the kids, it's not our future building. That's not the the priority of our church. The priority of our church is that we love one another. We love one another. We have a genuine affection from our heart that leads us to sacrifice for the good of one another. That's the goal. That's the goal. And if it takes us 30 years to get there, that's what we're after, friends. That's what we're after. It's to, be, it's to become a particular kind of a spiritual family where love saturates our, uh, what we're doing and who we are and who we're becoming. Anybody want to sign up for that? Yeah, it's like, amen, amen. Sacrifice, sacrifice. We see the priority of love and we see the perseverance of love. I love this part where Peter says, above all, keep loving one another. You see, keep Keep loving one another earnestly. That's the way I feel about real life. I feel about real life the way Peter felt about these, uh, these, these scattered Christians. He said, keep loving one another. In other words, he was bringing a word of encouragement to them. You're doing it right. You're loving one another. And that's what I want to say to our church today. You're doing it right. The way you care for one another is so beautiful. The way you authentically love one another, I just see it on display over and over and over again. Usually by the time I hear about somebody in our church that's suffering, there's a group of people that have already rallied around them, caring for them. Usually by the time it comes to me, usually it's like, pastor, we've got it covered. We're loving them. That's beautiful. That's the church. Uh, you know, we need, per- we need encouragement to persevere. And that's, that's why... Peter was encouraging these early Christians as he knew they're loving one another now, but it's going to get challenging. They're going to be tempted to quit. There's all kinds of things in life that we're tempted to quit on. Tempted to quit college, tempted to quit school, tempted to quit a race. You ever been to a race? <laughs> I love going to like a cross-country race because people just line up all along the race and they're just keep going, keep going, keep going. It's just so fun to see that kind of encouragement because it's like such a visual of exactly what Peter is saying to us today. Keep going. Keep loving. What about when it gets really hard? Keep loving. What about when they become so unlovable? Keep loving. What about when they hurt me? Keep loving. What, what about when it requires all that I've got? Keep loving. It's a really interesting time in the world that we live in. The phrase that you're familiar with is cancel culture. And cancel culture bleeds into everything that is happening in our world. And so, and so like self-help gurus and leaders of all kind have a particular kind of teaching today that goes like this. 
Um, if, if someone is making you a little uncomfortable, cut them out of your life. You don't need that. Life is hard enough with somebody that makes you a little uncomfortable. That's not what Peter's saying. If cancel culture takes over in the church, the church will be completely irrelevant for the world that we live in. You understand that? The only way for the church to be relevant in the world that we live in is to persevere, is to have a persevering love. That's why Peter says, keep loving one another. Your love can't be a flash in the pan. It can't be temporary. It can't start really hot and then fizzle out. No, it's got to be strong to the finish. You've got to keep loving one another. Listen, the best thing that you could do is to anticipate someone hurting you or letting you down in this church and then seek to feel the emotions that would come along with that. Mentally go there and then let yourself feel the emotions that would come along with that and then ask the Lord, Lord, let me persevere in love when that happens. Let me persevere in love when that happens. Keep loving one another, he says. Uh, cancel culture. We, the, the, word, the word toxic gets thrown around to describe relationships a lot. And in, at least in my observation, about 30% of the time, toxic is an appropriate word to describe the nature of the relationship. We are so weak. We're so weak and our relationships are so shallow that the moment someone says something or does something that makes us a little uncomfortable, peace out. That's the culture. That's not the church. It's paramount that we get this. It's not totally new for us. Peter was encouraging the early church, keep loving one another. Don't quit. Don't quit loving one another. Keep loving one persevere in your love for one another it's it's like the author of hebrews talks about the cloud of witnesses you know and it's like all those that have gone before us they're they're just shouting in this race that we're running keep loving keep loving keep loving keep loving what happens when we quit look at this picture this is what happens <laughs> I mean, that might be your jam. Yellow, gray, half-painted house. Anybody? <laughs> like, that might be what you're going for. And if it is, I have no, you know, judgment on that. But I don't think most of us are going for that, right? But that's a picture of the church that quits loving one another. Do you see it? Incomplete. Incomplete. Not done. Not done. And, and friends, we have a choice in front of us to persevere in our love for one another or to let cancel culture shape our values. And when someone does something that's uncomfortable, peace out. Peace out. Listen, there's, listen, there's nothing virtuous about that. Do you want to live a life of virtue? There's nothing virtuous about canceling someone. You know what's virtuous? Exactly what Peter is saying. Keep loving one another. Keep loving. And, and we, we're defining love as sacrifice. Love costs us something. If it's love at all, it costs us 
something. For the good of, for the good of others, I'm going I'm to stay in the relationship game. So we see the priority of love and we see the perseverance of love, but we also see a particular kind of love. And we've been talking about this already, but look at, look at the verse with me again. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Some of your versions say deeply, deeply love one another. In other words, Peter is not saying love one another conveniently, love one another when it's convenient, love one another casually. No, he's saying love one another earnestly, deeply, like a guttural kind of love that's, that's deep. It's not surface. How about this? It's not southern love. You know what Southern love is, don't you? Fake, surface, smile, bless your heart. You guys know exactly what it is. Because you grew up in it. Friendly with everybody, authentic with very few. And God has something better and more beautiful for his bride, for his people. Earnest, not convenient, deep, not, not shallow in surface. I'm going to trust you, and I'm going I'm to get in the mess of your life, and I'm going to let you get in the mess of my life, and I'm not going to cancel you. I will not cancel you. That's what the church says to one another. I will not cancel you. That's what the church says to one another. I will not cancel you. Why? Love. Love. There's a particular kind of love. It's not convenient. It's not casual. It's not southern. It's earnest. It's earnest. And then finally, the purpose of love. The fourth observation that we see in this one verse is the purpose of love. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. It's kind of weird. It's like, what? Like, love one another because it's the second greatest commandment, right? That would, I mean, you would think that Peter would say something like that. Love one another because it's the second greatest commandment. He says, love one another. Keep, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Since love covers a multitude of sins. Why should we love one another, Peter? Why should we love one another? Because love covers a multitude of sins. A few sins? A lot. <laughs> a lot. If you're new to the church, if you're new to Christianity, the church sins a lot. <laughs> a lot. That's why we're here is because our only hope for forgiveness is in Jesus. It's, it's been said that, that the church is not a museum of saints. It's a hospital for sinners. And I'm like, whole intensive care unit right here. <laughs> I, don't need, I don't need the hospital. I need the whole intensive care unit. One of my, one of my favorite pastors years ago used to say that, that people scoff at Christianity because they say it's a crutch for those who can't make it on their own. I'm like, crutch? <laughs> Intensive care unit. Listen, the only thing impressive about us is our, our Lord. Like we're on a journey where we're seeking to love 
We're on a journey where we're seeking to forgive. We're, we're on a journey where we're seeking to learn what love is. We're not on a journey where we've arrived. So, so our invitation to those that are new to the church isn't come and look at how awesome we are. It's come and look at how great our God is. We are broken yet beloved. Um, the, the Bible says where, where sin abounds, grace all the more abounds. Um, so, so if you're expecting um, Christians to be Jesus, you've got it wrong. Only Jesus can be Jesus. And so many people have left the church and walked away from the church because they're so disillusioned because they expected the church to be Jesus. Only Jesus can be Jesus. We want to be like Jesus. <laughs> but discipleship is slow. That's why the Bible gives images, agricultural images of like seeds growing into oak trees. It doesn't happen quickly for most. It happens slow for most discipleships. We become like Jesus, not, not microwaved, but like slow cook in the oven, you know. The purpose of, of love is because love covers a multitude of sins. So when we sin against each other, we've got a response. When someone's sin hurts you, we've got to respond to that. And I want to give you three ways that we respond to that. Many of us were consumed by it. That's the way we respond. We're consumed by it. it, it we're consumed by it, and we don't talk to anyone about it. We just hold it internally, and being consumed by it, it crushes us. That's the way many people deal with sin, internal. Sometimes they gossip about it, but in their gossip, they become more consumed about it, right? Sometimes it's someone, other, someone else's sin that you're disappointed in them. Sometimes it's sin that they committed that has hurt you personally. So we can be consumed by it, or we can confront it. This is what Jesus in Matthew 18 teaches the church to do. When a brother has offended you, Jesus says, go to him one-on-one. -on -one. Don't email him. Don't text him. Don't send a carrier pigeon. Jesus says, go to him. One-on-one. -on -one. Woman to woman, man to man, teenager to teenager. Go to them and say, this is the way it's impacted me. One-on-one. -on -one. Jesus said, if your brother hears you, you've won your brother. Reconciliation. Unity, restored relationship. Jesus said, if this is Matthew 18, to reference it later, Jesus said, if he doesn't hear you, go two on one. Take someone else. What are you doing? You're reasoning for unity. You're reasoning for love. You're reasoning to reconcile. You're reasoning for forgiveness. You go two on one. That's what Jesus said. Go two on one. And he said, then if your brother doesn't hear you, bring it before the church. By Jesus' design, two on one usually works. Because <laughs> who wants that mess being brought to the church? Up on stage, here's Jimmy, and here's Jeffrey Church, and they couldn't work it out. <laughs> so we need the church's help. So it usually never gets to that point, 
Because many people are familiar with Jesus' teaching, and they're like, yeah, we're going to work it out one-on-one or two-on-one before we have to bring it to the church. Right? That, that's what Jesus teaches in Matthew 18. Confront. That's how you confront it. Any, any, other, any other approach to confrontation is not Jesus' way. So if you try to confront someone and it goes south, ask, did I take Jesus' way? And if not, you should expect it to go south. You should never try to resolve conflict over email. You should never try to resolve conflict over text message. You should, you should never really de- deliver negative news in those platforms. Most human beings have a disposition to read written words more negatively. 86% of communication is nonverbal. In, in other words, it's not what I'm saying, it's how I'm saying it. Did you notice that I sat down when I wanted to talk to you about confronting? Why is that? Some of us like confrontation, some of us hate it. <laughs> it's like Valentine's Day. <laughs> If you love confrontation, you probably need to repent. And if you hate it to where you never do it, you probably need to repent. But this beautiful third option for when someone sins against us is that we cover it with love. We cover it. You cover it. You're not consumed by it, holding it in, or gossiping about it. You're not, doggone it, you offended me, I'm going to confront you about it, although that's okay. For the sake of unity in the body, make peace. We think, listen, church, listen, this is kind of a grow-up message. Are you, are you here for it? Are you here for it? People, in the name of keeping the peace, in the name of keeping the peace, people are consumed by it and don't confront it. We're not to keep the peace, we're to make peace. That's what, that's what Jesus did. He made peace through his cross. He confronted our sin. He dealt with it and made peace. But here's the beautiful path is cover it with love. And there's a multitude of sins that we may need to cover. So what, what does it mean to cover it? This is what it means. It means I love these people so earnestly, I'm just going to let love cover it and dissolve the offense. I I love these people so earnestly. I'm just going to cover it with a blanket of love. And I'm going to let love. This is a good Valentine's Day message this week too, husbands and wives. I don't know if you caught that backdoor message here. It's in there. It's in there. I'm going to love them so much that I'm not going to argue about it. I'm just going to let the weight of my love lay upon the offense. And the weight of my love is going to cover it. What does that remind you of? (laughs) It reminds me of how the blood of Jesus covers me. (laughs) Where where the Father has looked upon us in our sin, we are guilty of a multitude of sins, and he sent Jesus to die on the cross in our place as our substitute so that he could cover us with his love, with the blood of Jesus. Jesus. This is where we get our fuel and our motivation for this kind of love. This is where we prioritize it. God prioritized love on us. He could have in his justice just wiped us all off the face of the earth and he would be just. The angels would have declared he is holy and righteous and just forever. 
But that's not all of who God is. He's also loving. So he sent Jesus to die for us in our place, buried, risen from the dead, so that he could cover our sins with his love and his blood. The perseverance of God's love. Aren't you glad that he never gives up on you? Aren't you, aren't you glad that the Father's love is not fickle? It's strong, it's permanent, it's persevering. Listen, how could the Father expect us to persevere in our love for one another if he himself wasn't persevering in his love for us? Yet he is. He is. So on your worst day, you don't have to fear, does he still love me? Oh yeah, he does. Greater love has no man than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. God demonstrated his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The particular kind of love, God's love for you, is a satisfying love. David said in Psalm 63, verse 3, because your love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Many of us are looking for a valentine whose love is better than life. But there's only one whose love is better than life, and it's King Jesus's. And the purpose of his love is to cover us. It's to cover us. It's interesting, isn't it? Jesus' love both confronts us and covers us. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? God has a righteous wrath for sin, and he chose to absorb his own wrath in his son. He, can, he confronts our sin, and then he covers it through his son. Hallelujah. Uh, friends, let me ask you this morning. Have you trusted Jesus to cover your sins. If you have, then you're free to live a life of love. But if you haven't yet this morning, I want to give you an opportunity. Would you just bow your head in prayer with me? Just bow your head, close your eyes. This morning, I want to ask you this question. Have you turned to Jesus and trusted him as your Lord and Savior? Have your sins been covered by his blood? And I want to give you an opportunity this morning, if that's never happened for you, just to, to say to the Lord how you need his forgiveness. To say to the Lord how you need his love and to trust him. To trust Jesus' death, his resurrection, is your hope for salvation. If you need to trust him this morning, would you say something like this? Lord Jesus, I have a multitude of sins. Would you forgive me? Would you cover them by your blood? Lord Jesus, would you forgive me and come into my life and be my Lord, be my Savior? Fill me with your love. If this morning you're praying that prayer for the first time, would you just look up at me and raise your hand just so I can see you? Anybody in the house, I see you, brother. I see you, sister. Amen. Amen. I see you, sister. Anybody else this morning? Just look up at me and make eye contact. If you're, if you're worshiping with us online, would you just indicate in the comments today I'm receiving his love. I'm letting him cover my sins. Just leave a comment. Anybody else in the room this morning say, I need to receive the love of God, the forgiveness of my sins. Hallelujah. Those of you that have received him, you're clean. If you're trusting in Jesus, your sins are washed away and you've been reconciled into a relationship with the Father. What a joy.
Others of you here this morning, you would say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm having a really difficult time loving someone. The way they've hurt me, the way they've disappointed me, I'm just really, really having a hard time loving them. Jesus said to love our enemies. And, and, and they're an enemy, and I'm having a hard time to loving them. Would you just lift your hand and say, Pastor, please pray for me. I see you. All over the room, I see you. Yeah. Thank you, Father, for your empowering grace. Thank you, Lord, that our life can become a channel of your love. So would you pour out your love on those that are having difficulty this morning loving, would you pour out your love on them in a fresh and powerful way? Would you let your love touch every, every place in their heart? Would you remind them of how you have covered them with your love? And Lord, let that experience of being covered by your love empower them today to love others. Lord Jesus, help us not to miss this. <laughs> We've got such a bright future ahead of us as a church. Help us not to miss this, Lord. Help us to love. Help us to love with strength and perseverance as a priority. We trust you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand. Let's sing to our loving Father about his great love. Amen. Sing with all your heart. Don't hold back. Thank you for listening. We trust that God is stirring something special in your heart today. We hope to see you on Sunday very soon. Keep it real. Keep it Jesus.